What's going on here? Resistance is futile. This, indeed, you are powerful. Is in my hand. Fan effect. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Fan Effect, the uh, sponsored by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters, which. We believe is the best place to see a movie in Utah. Oh, yeah. And we want to uh, talk. We're going to actually talk a little bit about a movie as we get going today. But today, it's cold, it's dark, it's gloomy outside, it's January. And, you know, people suffer. It's an honest thing. People suffer from seasonal affective disorder. They can't handle the constant gray. They can't handle the inversion. That's what here in Utah we've been going through this week. Even when the sun's up, it doesn't feel like the sun's up. So why not add a splash of color mm-hmm. in January? And what what better place do you think of color than in art? Uh. And I think, <laughs> as we're going to introduce our guests today, Ryan Sager's founder and event man- manager of Januarty. What a great name. Thank you. Welcome, Ryan. And we're going to welcome one of the, uh, maybe the headliner guest, probably safe to say wow. the headliner guest of Januarty. I'll take that. <laughs> Thomas Estrada, professional artist who also, and this is interesting, and we're going to explore this. Worked on Moses on the Prince of Egypt. Yes. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. <laughs> we're excited to have you, and we, we welcome you, I mean, uh, at least for Januarty. Uh, Kellyanne, of course, is our professional scout, my co-host. Hi. <laughs> she finds all the great things happening in Utah, because that's one of the things that Fanific specifically celebrates is, I mean, you know, we love fandoms in general, but we especially love fan-type events or places where the community can come together over things that everybody agrees on with so many things that divide us Mm -hmm. all the time. It seems like it's so nice to have a place where we all agree. You know, we all hate the Lakers. Oh, did I say that out loud? (laughs) Say it on like sports. Don't, don't talk to me about Quidditch. There you go. (laughs) But we come together over things that would otherwise we might be apart on uh, a lot of other areas. So it's great to have something like this. And for real, it's great to have something that will bring a splash of color in the gray months of January. Mm -hmm. So, that's what we want to explore today as we uh, we want to find out and tell you what January is, how it came about, what Thomas will be doing there. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Thomas has done that uh, I personally have several fascinating questions of my own. Just awesome. Emperor's New Groove. He worked on Emperor's New Groove. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> and excited. I noticed on your bio there is... Uh, uh, you did. You worked on Road to El Dorado, which was that's right. the first movie I ever went to with my wife. Wow. Oh, Very yeah. cool. 2000. Th- that was you, too. I remember. Yes, we were the... <laughs> You're right, though. It did not do as well as Prince of Egypt. Oh, I love no. Road to El Dorado. Uh, as it's, far as box It's done office. very well now. It's a cult it's, classic. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why sometimes the fun ones misses. I mean, you could say the same thing about Emperor's New Groove. I mean, huge bomb. People don't say like, oh, yeah, I saw it four times in the theater. But anybody who finally sees it is like, oh, that thing's hilarious. Yeah, it's definitely was a a sleeper for sure. Ah. But a 20 year sleeper. (laughs) No, it's it's gotten it's it's probably one of the more popular things that I've worked on. And and, but at the time when it came out, yeah, it, it did not do well at all. Uh, most of the stuff that I worked on did not do well at all, but it's gotten, you know, all of them have gotten so much more, you know, popular over the years, which is really fun to see. Which I think it's the lasting ones that, that work as well. A lot of the shows that come out are maybe super popular at the time, but they don't continue and continue. Right. You, you always see Kronk. You always see all these different characters oh, now. Like, I, I everybody love still quotes it. Atlantis. And I know you said you worked on that mm-hmm. one as well. And But, man, I'm just one of those people that I love animation, so I'm going to watch, like, every I Disney animation. I didn't see Atlantis until, like, two years ago. <gasps> For real. Yeah. Like there was, okay, so again, went out with my wife in 2000, got married, started having kids. There is a real gap in life 
<laughs> for entertainment and pop culture with a certain age of kids. Now, you'll get sure. through it, and eventually you'll be able to go back. But that some of those Disney movies, uh, Treasure Planet, uh, fell in the gap. Right. Oh, and I so I'm finally getting around to some of these after all these years. And, you know, and since it's 20 years later, you love it now, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't have any reason not to like it. And, you know, it, it does help sometimes where word of mouth finally reaches you after sure. 20 years. I think that's one of the cool things about streaming now and stuff is people are able to more, you know, Disney doesn't lock it in the vault all the time. And so we're able to consume whenever we want. So there's this big surge in, in these older movies and even music that are coming up now. So well, yeah. everything excited eventually about cycles around, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I've seen plenty of fan theory castings for uh, Atlantis. <laughs> live like action. Who could do the live action Atlantis sure. and why it would lend itself. So I had actually seen those before I actually watched the movie. Oh, weird. And I was like, this would really... <laughs> Really lend well to a live action, like almost in some ways better than the animation. Probably. Potentially, just because of what they do and what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. But I love having the animation, and mm-hmm. it's actually, I'm going to have a lot of questions about animation. Because sure. It's one of my favorites, and, and I don't know enough about the process. I just know which ones I like. And I can at least analyze why I like them. Right. But I don't know how they're done. And I have questions about all of those things. Sounds so, fun. This is what I'm excited about. So, But let's let's talk right now about actually what Januarty is. So, Ryan, um, you're not unfamiliar to people in the fandoms here in Utah as you've done FanX KidCon mm-hmm. for, what, four years now? Yep. Now, wh- what, what part of KidCon do you do? I... Ran a lot of it oh, okay. back in the day. So they just passed that off to you. So did you put it together too? No. So I missed the first... Well, it was Salt Lake Comic Con yeah, right. back yeah. then. Um, so I was in grad school at the time, so I missed that. To be named. Um, but then I got involved in the next one, and it started out on the con floor, and then we brought it into the room that you now know and love, mm-hmm. and it just kind of grew and grew and grew because uh, Utah's known as a family state, and mm-hmm. this was a nice free addition for people that are already there to take their kids to, so they can have that kind of same experience and that little fandom thing all on their own. So again, the kid gap. Yeah, you can't mm-hmm. take them around the floor with all the people and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So that this is this is a great way to meet them in the middle, so they can enjoy it. Yeah, so this was this was a great way for me to pull in like, you know, youth authors and artists that are specifically for, you know, that demographic. And then we had activities that you know adults love, but they're aimed for the height of children, so that mm-hmm. they can sure. participate as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too because. We live in an age where there's so much available of everything. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge is how do you find the right thing? Because I always, my favorite analogy is like if you tried to drink from a fire hydrant that's going, <laughs> you'll get right. some water, but you'll get it in places you didn't expect. <laughs> yes. And so having, uh, that, that's actually a really good idea. You know, parents are looking for the types of things they could introduce their kids to, but where do they even start to look for it? Mm-hmm. And then how do they parse through that? In order to find, you know, one of the advantages of Disney, since we've been talking about that, is that they became the standard bearer for that. So you didn't have to look very far to find something that fit into that. Right. You'd look to Disney. So, But now there's so many additional ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't make the Disney cut, as uh, Thomas, you might know, oh, yeah. there, you'd go for years where you could be just as talented as some who did, but there just wasn't the same amount of chance for recognition. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But today, that's not the case anymore. Yeah, definitely a lot more information on how to do it and how to, um, you know, where to find those things. And I mean, that's such a big difference, you know, now with the Internet, you know. Well, the barrier for entry, I think, is what they call it, is a lot lower than it used to be. Yes. There's a lot more people because of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it also Mm -hmm. and and it becomes a self-spawning thing. 
Right. As people enjoy the things that you put out or that you put together, mm-hmm. then they think, ooh, I could do that. Or what if I did that? And suddenly it continues to grow. It, it feeds on itself. And I think in a good way. Right. So you did KidCon. Mm-hmm. What has brought you to, by the way, representing fandom, you've got your Mandalorian t-shirt on, which I love, by the way. <laughs> it's one of many. One of many. I love it. I'm, Star Wars is my main fandom, so I'm, I, I totally love this. Um, how did Januarty come about? Um, or am I saying it right? Yeah, Januarty. Okay. So I think January, but with a T, and you kind of start your art experience there, so Januarty. Okay. It's kind of a culmination of a lot of things. So back when I was in KidCon, I actually made a thing what I called the Reading Roost. So that's where we brought in the local kids' authors that we would have them there on site, and then they'd also read from their books to the kids. So it's kind of like a, hey, it's not just this book, because this is a tangent story, but I grew up reading Dragonlance, right? And okay. so that's um, Laura and Tracy Hickman. And I thought, you know, young kid, I don't know. I didn't look them up because there's no IMDb or whatever. Uh, I thought they're, you know, they're probably dead or off somewhere on the other side of the country. Turns out they're local. <laughs> so that was kind of an experience for me that's like, hey, I saw these people. So, like, I know somebody that made something that I love. And so that's kind of what fed into January is, like, with FanX and with all these other uh, things that I've done, I've met a lot of creators uh, there's artists, there's authors, there's people that do 3D modeling, people that worked on video games. So to me, it's kind of like, hey, I had this cool experience. You guys can do that too of like that cool game that you played. Here's somebody that worked on it. Hmm. How is that feeling for you? Because I feel like this is, and I could be completely wrong because I'm not a sports person, but <laughs> I feel like this is kind of like those people that go to the Super Bowl and hey, they get to meet football player. Like mm-hmm. same thing for art and just fandom in general. You generally don't get to meet the football players at the Super Bowl. <laughs> so this will be but even I better. Get, but I do get what you're saying. And if you did get to meet a player at the Super Bowl, that would only amplify the thing even that much more because you'd go to the event in the first place because something about it was interesting to you. And if you have that additional awesome experience, again, you can only multiply and make it better. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the things that will be at January? So, so that's how you came to the idea to do this. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that will be there? For, where is it? I guess we ought to say that. So it's at Valley Fair. If you don't remember where that's at, that's in West Valley City. It's uh, off, what, 27th West and about 35th South? Yep. Uh, it is attached to a Megaplex. It's one of the few that is. So Yay. you can experience the event and go to the movie at the same time. So... It's, and at it's the, Jan- Saturday, January 20th, 2024. Yes, and it's from 11 to 7. So it's the whole day? Yes. Okay. So Saturday the 20th, 11 to 7, at Valley Fair Mall, which, by the way, was the mall I lived closest to growing up, so I know that mall. Oh, very nice. And it's many facelifts ever yes. since. If you haven't been in 20 years, like a lot of people haven't, it looks a lot different now. A lot different. And there's restaurants there now mm-hmm. that didn't used to be, not just the food court restaurants, there's actual restaurants that surround it. So you can make it a whole day and <laughs> enjoy a nice, delicious meal too. Well, you have it a whole day with panels and vendors mm-hmm. and cosplayers. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the different events that are going along there? So basically, if you don't think there's something going on for you, there probably is something going on for you. We have some awesome artists like Thomas and Adrian Ropp. If you don't know Adrian, he's worked mm-hmm. on Disney Infinity. He worked on Hogwarts Legacy. IP Disney Infinity. Yeah. Everybody misses it. Why? I did miss it. Uh, we that's said a whole conversation whole before you came other, in about it. Yes. That's a whole other discussion topic. Oh, we can someday. get into that oh, for a long how time. Could I was there. I was succeed. on that game from the beginning. Oh. How did that not succeed? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's, it's it a succeeded. Quandary. Disney just wanted more money. <laughs> um, you may know also he's worked on Disney Villains. Mm-hmm. Um, we have... 
Now, this is kind of a surprise for some people, but we have Erlinda's Salsa coming in, and they have um, award-winning salsa. And so many people would be like, how does that fit in? But well, I like, thought you were saying a name for a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> <too. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's the whole point with this was it's not just 2D art. Like we love and we admire 2D art, but we're also looking for people that 3D model, three mm-hmm. people that create music, people that just have some kind of spark of creativity and turn it into something because mm-hmm. that's something that everybody has some kind of creativity. It's getting past that hurdle of like, oh, this is a thought to like, I can do this and mm-hmm. people love this. Well, I think one thing that if, if people will go and give it a chance, cause there's a, I do believe there's a real barrier in let's say the average person's mind. You know, there's, there's, there's always people who, once you get really into a fandom, there's, there's no more barriers. They want to know every single thing about mm-hmm. every single thing. But I do believe that there's a barrier in some people's minds of if it's not from X source, or if it's not from the label that I've heard of mm-hmm. before, uh, I don't know if I want to, you know, make the time to get it. On the flip side, it's oh, it is from that source. Well, I have no idea what they did there at that source, but I've got to know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I like these kinds of events because it gives a chance to sort of break down that barrier in people's minds. And I always am trying to invite people like just, it is cool. Like give it a second, give it a second. Just because you haven't heard of that thing. Mm-hmm you might actually end up liking it or you don't think you've heard of it. And then you get talking, you're like, wait a minute. I do remember that. Right. Well, and that's why we have a lot of things going on. And that's where I'm trying to reach a lot of people that they're coming in for that specific thing, but this is kind of related. So they, they touch what they know and then they've learned to love something else. So we have panels going on from industry professionals. Uh, We have panels about behind the scenes on, give me a second, blanking on it. Prince of Egypt. I've just said it so many times this week. It's <laughs> yes. kind of burning out. Um, and then we have panels on Disney, Disney Infinity. Infinity. We have panels on you want to write a book? Here's how to write a story. We have, uh, we'll have a cosplay contest with some three very well local uh, judges that are well known in the community. Um, Mariel Our Clark. Eric's on it. Eric Allen Hall and uh, Gonzalo Barragan. And then we also have, if you know and love her from Lego Masters, Jennifer Smart will be there. She's also our friend. <laughs> she will be judging our Lego contest where you bring your own creation. So it's not something that you, you got from go Lego. You have to get into the bucket of uh, Legos yeah, at the event we, we and build see, something. We want to see what you have built yourself. And you can do it beforehand. Just bring it. And then she will judge it. And the, the winner will be announced after her panel. Oh, that's so cool. Legos. Man. We have art they, contests online, too. Legos it's going to be really fun. is the story that Disney Infinity should have been. Because mm. Legos were circling the drain, and then they managed to capitalize on IPs mm-hmm. to stay relevant, afloat, and then... Well, then the, the pandemic, status. everyone wanted Legos. Yeah, mm-hmm. but... Disney, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time letting go of that since it's now fresh on my mind. But I, I'm glad that it's there. An interesting thing, too, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of, at FanX, Glorious Three Days. Mm-hmm. There's more panels than you can get to, mm-hmm. no matter... How many you want to see, there's always one or two more that you just can't get to because of uh, photo ops, autographs, Mm -hmm. other, you know, celebrity panels, whatever. Having some of those almost in a a way again, like, hey, you missed it at Fanex. The one about writing the stories. You Mm -hmm. wanted to get to it, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't. Come do it here, and you get the same exact effect, the same help, and the same opportunity. Maybe even more, because you'll have more time to talk to them. And it 
it's probably not as over as much overwhelming. Maybe if you've thought of going to Fanex and like, I don't know if I want to be with so many people, this would probably be a good way. And and I'll be there. So you, you can come and find me nice. in a Fanex shirt sure and, we'll and talk to me. Well, <laughs> and you don't really have anything riding on the line because, mm-hmm. yeah, Fanex charges for tickets because they have to. They're convention. Yeah, yeah. So this is a community event. So you can come for free. Mm-hmm. You can experience. And if it's not your thing, I don't know how, mm-hmm. but, you know. You have nothing that you've lost other than your time. Definitely. And for the screening, which does cost, you have two screenings of, mm-hmm. of Prince of Egypt, which I haven't seen it on the big screen since the original. So I'm yes. so excited. Um, and the cost of that is actually going to a good cause. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we don't touch that at all. I don't know if you have the ability to post links on this, but mm-hmm. uh, there is a link that goes straight through Primary Children's Hospital. So you go through that link that we have. You donate $10 or more per ticket. And then you send us an email at Utah at Mm -hmm. gmail.com to reserve your ticket. So we don't touch that money at all. It goes straight to the good cause of primary children's. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, so that is kind of the uh, the central event is a a chance to screen Prince of Egypt. And then is the discussion with Thomas going to be after... Or is it going to be before? Or what? Well, are we, how are we? Is, that, is it completely unrelated? It's kind of all the time, but he does have a panel basically right before. Is he going to we, talk through the movie like uh, Mystery oh. Saint? That we do? <laughs> <laughs> I got to start working on my material. We'll have to call Jeff at the Megaplex. Be like, hey. <laughs> we have a, a panel that'll that'll happen right before, mm-hmm. but then even before each screening, I'll be there to introduce the film, mm-hmm. and we'll do a little bit of Q and A and just talk a little bit about it before we actually show the uh, the movie. All right. Well, let's talk about that in our next thing. Let's take a break here right now on Fan Effect. And when we get back, we'll talk about uh, The Prince of Egypt, Thomas, your role in it, and then some of the other projects and things so we can get to know you better. And again, this is going to be even more in-depth in the panels, I think. (laughs) Yes. But it'll be fun. So we'll talk about that next on Fan Effect. All right, we're talking Januarty on Fan Effect, uh, an event in West Valley City on Saturday, January 20th uh, with uh, local artists, a chance for you to find out about all kinds of different art. And one of the central pieces is a professional artist. Now, when did you get your professional artist card, Thomas? Oh, wow. Um, well, you let have me to pull it out every so often to show. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you have to draw it, right? Yes, it's all hand-drawn. It better be. I was going to say, if it's not uh, hand-drawn, then you did it wrong. I think the, um, you know, dr- uh, drawing and art is something that I've done as, you know, as long as I could remember. I think the first, like, real pain gig, which I guess would qualify me as a professional, um, I was probably about 14 and I was drawing. There was a, a, a lady that my mom knew and she used to make, they used to make those rubber stamps, you know, on the wood blocks. Oh, and yeah. she had the process oh, of making. Oh, they still make those, by the way. Oh, yeah. Is that, stamping up is like a whole huge, a huge company. So this was back in the 80s and and she was a she would hire me. She would give me a list of drawings that she wanted. And, you know, being in the mid-80s, it was a lot of unicorns and killer whales and <laughs> that type of thing. And so I would draw these and then she would pick out the ones she wanted. And I was just so thrilled that somebody was, you know, actually going to pay me for, for drawing because it was just something that I had done my whole life, you know, and, and just continue doing that. But, I mean. Do you have some of your drawings, your first drawings that you ever kept? I have a lot of them. Yeah, they're it, they're they're tough for me to hang on to because I don't I don't like a lot of most of the stuff that <laughs> well, I do. Right, it makes perfect sense. It's just cringy, and but but thankfully, uh, you know, my my wife has hung on to a lot of that stuff that I would have gotten rid of a long time ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, there there is a lot of that. But it, you know, it was one of those things. You know, that drawing to me. 
um, you know, for a, a large part of my life was just a hobby. I, I didn't know that you can even do this as a career, you know, and, and then as an artist, like so many other artists, I had zero confidence. I didn't think I was any good at it. And so it just kind of stayed that way. You know, um, I, I was always in the art production in, in school. I was on the yearbook staff and then I drew on everybody's books and, uh, in everybody's yearbook. Oh yes. Your autograph included a picture. Usually, oh yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, always. <laughs> and, um, and so that was just kind of the thing, but, but after high school, you know, I didn't go to college, um, you know, where, where I grew up, you know, most everybody, um, there wasn't a lot of talk about going to college where I grew up in, in the San Fernando Valley in, in Southern California. Most people got married right out of high school and you either joined the military or you got a job doing whatever your dad was doing. And that in was the town. In the town, yeah. And so, you know, we did that. I, I graduated high school and uh, my wife and I got married. We dated through high school and we got married right after out of high school. And um, So you followed the plan. Followed to a the plan. Point. Yes. I, I was, I didn't want to join the military. I didn't think I was cut out for that. Um, but with no education and no really, I, I had no direction at the time. And so I, I found myself just doing different jobs. And, and one of those was actually in pest control. I was killing bugs for a living because I didn't know how to do anything else. I, I like to draw, but to me, that was just a hobby. And, and that kind of remained that way for, you know, up until I was about 26 and I ended up meeting, like so many of these things happen, we met a cousin. It was a distant cousin of my wife, and he worked at Disney. He was an animator uh, in Southern California, and I was so thrilled to talk to somebody that worked professionally doing this. And And I told him I was interested in drawing, but, you know, I didn't go to school or anything. And at that time, you know, he told me, well, you don't really need a degree to get a job at Disney. They want to see how well you can actually draw. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> they judge you on the quality of your work? All this time, I had no idea. And he, and, and it was just that person that took the time to give me the information, point me in the right direction. And so he was teaching me the entry level of animation, which is called in-betweening, which sounds very much what it is. You're getting two drawings from your a supervisor, maybe drawing number one and drawing number 10. And you're literally doing the in-between iterations, ah, yes. flipping the pages. This was hand-drawn animation. So this was your choice as to how much movement was in between each one? It was dictated to you. Okay. They had charts that told you where to put those drawings. Oftentimes they were in half, but sometimes they were on thirds or quarters, favoring one drawing or the other, because that changes the animation. That'll have an effect on the animation's weight and speed depending where you put it. And so they would tell you where to put those, but you would take those two drawings that, that your supervisor did, put them on a light table. This was old school 2D animation, and you would flip them back and forth. This is in the 90s? Uh, yeah, this was about 97. Okay. Yeah, and um, and so he was teaching me how to do that because he told me if, if you get your portfolio, which is just life drawing animals and people and that kind of thing, that's the first hurdle is you have to get they they, they want to see how well you can draw people and animals because they know, as a lot of artists do, how difficult that is to draw really good humans and animals. And if you get past that, they're going to give you an in-betweening test. And and so I, Does I that first feel like pressure when you're doing that, like. Oh, it's Especially incredible. As, as somebody who's new, you're excited that this exists. Yeah. Now there's an opportunity in front of you and you got to be thinking, I didn't even know this opportunity exists a minute ago. I don't want to blow this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Very I'll never much. Get another chance. And it felt that way, you know, and, 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 and so when, it, when I first um, put my portfolio together 
uh, when, with uh, cousin Larry was teaching me, and, and I submitted it at Disney at that time because that's where he was. But they had just finished, um, I think they finished uh, Hercules at the time. Love so they weren't really hiring anybody. So they said, we like your life drawing stuff, but come back in a few months when we're ramping up for the next film. So I was kind of bummed. But down the street from Disney uh, in Glendale was a newer studio that just opened called DreamWorks. <laughs> And they were making a film, and so I went over yeah, there. They were brand, this was their first film release. Their first, yeah, their first. Of uh, Egypt, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I went down there. They were actually, at that time, they were in a small office building on the back lot of Universal Studios. Oh, by the way, for those of you who are too young to remember what DreamWorks, it used to be called DreamWorks SKG. SKG. And what did the SKG stand for? It was Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen. Yeah. Oh, those are big those names. Were big names. That's what I say. It's, it's almost funny they've dropped the SKG, but like this was a huge deal. Oh, yeah. This so was the first independent studio. And David Geffen and, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. The first independent like Hollywood film studio like to open in, I forgot how many years it was. Like it, it was a it was a big and deal. And it lasted. It lasted. That's what's so amazing now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I literally pulled up to Universal Studios in the back lot where the office buildings were in my pest control truck because ah. I was working that day. <laughs> nice. And I remember the, they had the, the security guard out there, and he looked out at the window from his guard check, and he saw my pest control truck, and he opened the gates and just let me drive pest in. Control. I was He thought I was there to spray the place. It's a good way to get a job. <laughs> yes. You know? Write this down. Now. Write this down. Security's a little bit more stringent nowadays, it but back then. It is what you do. It's being in the right place and doing something. Oh, my goodness. And and so I, I dropped off my portfolio in my pest control uniform, my truck. <laughs> Probably had a big spider on the door and something like that. And um, and in a, a few weeks, they called me and they said, you know, we like your life drawing stuff. Come in and take the in-between test. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of going the way I was explained to me. And so they give me this two drawings and it's this Egyptian looking character. I had no idea what it was for. And it was one motion. He had his hand with the torch on one side and then the other drawing was on the other side. And they, there was the chart the same way. And they said, how many of these in-betweens you can do in an eight-hour period? And I was completely yeah, stressed out and how nervous. work you can get through, too. That's yeah. Not just the talent, but how quickly can you churn it out? Well, that's well, the thing. that They want to see not only the, the quality, but it's also the quantity, you know, has to play a part. Some people can do a, a lot of drawings, but the quality starts to suffer. Some do very few drawings. They're beautiful, but they don't do yeah. enough. So well, you're trying to find that balance. I'm just curious. So you're an artist at the time, but you did a lot of like still and stuff. Did you do animation? Like you understood how to do the steps no. in between? And only because what my cousin, <gasps> oh, cousin, cousin Larry was you. teaching me the in-between. Oh, he, so that's he was awesome. telling me like, this is how it works. And that you can read the chart and it tells you where to put that in-between drawing if it's on half or it's on a third. So he was giving you the, the life hacks. It basically. Yes. He was bringing home Xerox copies. He was working on Fantasia 2000 at the time. And so he was bringing home these pomp and circumstance drawings of uh, Donald and Daisy. And and so that's how I was to learning show you, that. To help you understand the, yeah. what he was doing. And I and I built my own light table. And I was <laughs> uh, in between. I was flipping the pages and doing that whole thing, preparing for this test. And so I went in and I did the test at, at DreamWorks. And um, they called me in a few weeks. They said, congratulations, you got on this spot as an in-betweener. This is film we're making called The Prince of Egypt. And while you're here, could you please spray for bugs? Oh, I got that <laughs> continually. <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny thing, there is a story that goes along with that. So 
when so when you're working on a film like Prince of Egypt, you get cast onto a particular character. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to ask about. Since you worked on Moses, I thought that's an incredibly specific thing to yes. specify. Instead of I worked on the Prince of Egypt, no. I worked on Moses on the Prince of Egypt. Because as as artists, and especially doing hand-drawn art, the character needs to be very consistent because there was probably 50, 60 other artists working just on that character. And so they wanted to make sure whoever was working on each character, that you only drew that character so that the consistency would stay there. So I got cast on to Moses, which I was so thrilled about to get on the lead <laughs> character. But, you know, at the same time, he had the most footage. He had the biggest team. He needed the most people. Right. But I just took it as I'm working on the lead. Well, and how how many years later? And you're like, I worked on Moses. I worked on the Prince of Egypt. (laughs) But what was funny is so the Prince of Egypt, uh, Moses character had a supervisor. And then all the other characters had their own supervisors. And so that's kind of how it worked. So about a year later, when I got brought back onto the road to El Dorado, I was cast onto the Tulio character, and the Tulio character had a different supervisor. Her name was Nicola Courtney. I knew who Nicola was during Prince of Egypt, but because I was on Moses, I didn't work with her. I never met her, but I knew she was another supervisor. So when they brought me in this, you know, a year later for El Dorado, they introduced me to Nicola. The producer brought me in, and I remember clearly she she had her back turned because she was drawing at her desk, and the producer brought her in and. They said, uh, Nicola, this is Thomas Estrada. He's going to be one of your assistants on Tulio. And um, I remember she, her head kind of popped up and she slowly turned around and she said, Thomas Estrada, did you work in pest control? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like scrambling, like, oh my God, did I spray her house? Like, how does she know that? And I said, yeah, I did. And she said, I remember when you applied here a year ago uh, on the Prince of Egypt. outfit. Well, she said, uh, she said, I was on the review board looking at portfolios and we had thousands of them coming in because it was a brand new studio. Everyone wants to work here. She said, we had stacks and stacks of portfolios. And she said, I remember coming across yours. And she said, I liked your life drawing stuff. Don't get me wrong. She's like, I, I saw what you were doing. She says, but what caught me, I remember the resume. Most of them were people that either graduated from art schools or they were coming from other studios. And it said, yours, current occupation, pest control. <laughs> and she says, look at this guy. She, she was telling the other reviewers, he's got no experience, no formal training. He's working in pest control, but he wants to be an animator. Why don't we give him the test? Why don't we let him come in and take the in-between oh, test? Wow. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she's like she's one like, of the key people. Oh, oh I, I love it. She said, it. I always remember seeing that. And I remember your name. And I was like, that's incredible. And we're still good friends to this day. And I always thank her for that, like giving me that little break. And There's so would, many life lessons that can come out of that. Be honest on your resume. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you never, never know. know. And also, if there's something you want, go for it, even if you're not in what you would think is the stepping stone to get it. Now, it may not work that way. There were maybe other people had resumes in there. Sure. But... You know, that's there's so many different life lessons. Don't it's be just, afraid of and who taking you the are. Risk. Just tell taking them who the you chance are. Yeah. and yeah, tell them who you. I I had nothing else to write on there. I didn't go to school. Well, you could have made it up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure, some maybe some in that stack did make it up. Who knows? But and yeah. it was just one of those because funny little things. You for know, them, they look at that and go, you know what? Here's somebody who we don't have to retrain. 
Yeah. We can get them to do it the way we want it without a lot of pushback, without a lot of, well, over at Disney, this yes. is what we do. Like, we're not Disney and we know that. And when you have that weird bug in your kitchen at home, you could bring it you into work. Bring, and there you go. You what, already what, have what experience with locusts. And yes. Yeah, look. From the pests? Exactly. That's right. So that's I how exactly I got in. Like. Yeah. So I, I got this job at DreamWorks and I was just so thrilled. I couldn't believe that I was going to get paid to draw for a living, something that I would do as a hobby now became this this job, and that just kind of set the whole thing, you know, the whole course from there. So let's talk about the Prince of Egypt then specifically. So you're cast on it. I mean, you are cast in a similar way as a voice actor. You're cast as Moses. You didn't work on anything else. Right. Uh, it's funny, too, because I remember the one of the taglines for Ten Commandments, the Cecil B. DeMille version, was a cast of thousands. And <laughs> yes. here we have a cast of thousands to draw Moses. Oh, <laughs> seriously. And later. And in fact, that movie, the Cecil B. DeMille film, I mean, that was a, the inspiration for the Prince of Egypt. You know, when when um, Katzenberg, Spielberg and Geffen were sitting down and discussing this new studio they wanted to do, Katzenberg, you know, he was the former head of animation at Disney. He had just right. left and he had joined. And so he was talking to Spielberg and Geffen about their plans for this new studio. And, and Katzenberg said, I want to do something big, like just a huge epic animated film, something like the Ten Commandments big. And it was Spielberg that said, well, why don't you do that? And that's literally how the whole thing got started. <laughs> that's an awesome story. So I do cool. remember they made a big deal out of that, uh, that, you know, especially because uh, they were all Jewish. And, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, this is a, 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 but this was a seminal moment that they share with a lot of Christianity as well. Like, sure. One of the parts that they do agree on. And and that it goes back to those things. And I, yeah, remember, and even, I remember the publicity around the movie right before it came out. And they'd signed, uh, you know, some big names to voice in the cast. They had the big uh, musical number with the three stars. Yeah, Mariah oh, Carey no, and Whitney yeah, Houston. Yeah, the movie and, version. And then there's the credits version with yes. all the big stars, which was a thing they did in the 90s. Huge. I mean, everything about that film was just big mm -hmm. from the cast and the soundtrack and um, the the people, they were bringing in just the top talents. You know, they were luring in a lot of animators from Disney, from these other places, which is huge contracts. Everything about it was just huge. You know, they, they had the um, all the free food and the snacks every day and everything was so just basically top your, notch. Your, your usual startup kind of stuff. Because they were a startup before it was really they called were a, start a startup. Yeah. It was right before they started calling them startups. Yes. But they also, you know, not only did you have Spielberg and Geffen, I mean, was probably the wealthiest one of all the three they with Geffen Records. Pockets. But then they also had backers like Paul Allen. You know, who was one of the early Microsoft, Microsoft guys was the, in, in on that as well. And um, it was a huge deal, you know, and, and soon after the Prince of Egypt was finished, that's when they built that huge sprawling campus that they have now in Glendale, um, which is just a beautiful place with koi fish and there's <laughs> fountains and it looks like a huge Spanish mission, almost like a university campus there. When you think of all what's come out of DreamWorks since then, and you know even this film, how lasting it, it has become from the music to the animation style. Like yeah. it just, I remember that was one of my first movies I was obsessed with when I was younger. I was probably, what, what year did it come out? Uh, 98. 98. So I was 12 yeah. years old when it came out. Wow. And I remember being obsessed with it. And it was the first movie that I remember every weekend we go to Blockbusters, be like, is, is it out yet? Is it out yet? The, <laughs> yes. the, 
is it out yet? I I, re- I remember specifically sitting and watching in the movie um, the scene where it's it's the death of, of the infants, the pharaoh, oh, you know, and so how you guys powerful. beautifully animated it with the hieroglyphs kind of coming alive in the 2D style. Yeah. And I think that was the first time as a child, like that clicked about how animation can speak differently sure um as you animate in different ways and make you feel different things and that that shift of uh between the right the traditional 2d and the hieroglyphics and this movie has been so beautiful and it's been so long lasting and so referenced like it i it's it's awesome and i get to go see it on the big screen and how horrible is it that they made captain picard give the order to kill all the kids (laughs) yes that's right (laughs) it was that it was I mean, a, I uh, it, but I was like, why, why, Captain Picard? You know better. There was just so many cool things about it. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of reference. I this was my first film working in, you know, in that level. And what a way to start. But I remember talking to other uh, veterans that had been doing this for a long time, and and they were telling me this is unlike anything we've ever done before. Just the detail and and how much we're putting into it and the time we're taking. Uh, they all understood it, you know, even more when than I did. They brought a big panel of all sorts of different religious organizations. Every as day well. they like, would have them in, and, in order and film to be it. respectful of everything. This is like I've 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 looked into Prince of Egypt pretty heavily just because it's one of those iconic ones in my life. It's like probably the, one of the first CD sets I ever brought yeah. and memorized the booklets and everything. So. And then to have people like Steven Spielberg who would come in <laughs> and give notes and talk to us about it. And I remember there was specific scenes. You know, you you mentioned a uh, uh, Picard, you know, Pharaoh, and there's a scene when he's with Moses, and when Moses discovers that hieroglyphic of the babies, uh-huh. and and um, you know, when the, he he holds, he embraces Moses, and he gives him that hug, and he oh. says, you know, they were they were only Jews, and what this had to be done, and there's that scene when Moses pulls away from him. And he, he lets him go, like his his arms are outstretched and Moses is backing away from him. That was a specific note from Spielberg. Oh. I remember hearing that in a meeting and they were saying, you know, it's very significant to have that release and letting go of Moses and separating the two from that embrace. And to, to hear that from somebody like him was like, wow, that's cool. One of the things that I liked about, I mean, we watched the Ten Commandments every year on Easter, so I knew the story inside and out and all of that. I slept through the Ten Commandments every every year on Easter. Easter. No, I, I, but to me, the fascinating thing about Prince of Egypt, the first watch through, was a concept that I had never, because I'd only watched Ten Commandments, and, and the actual biblical story, both Ten Commandments and Prince of Egypt, fill in a lot of what's not oh, in, sure. the, uh, in the actual story, but... This idea that instead of being constant rivals, Moses and Ramses, they were friends. And so when Moses comes back and has to ask him, like, I know what this means to you. And and at first, Pharaoh's like, you're alive. Like, oh, it's so good to see you. And that's exactly the opposite of the Yul Brenner and the Charlton Heston dynamic. Mm -hmm. But I was like... We don't know what way it was. Like, yeah, it's not well, really mentioned. this way. It kind of makes sense. Moses is coming back as, you know, Pharaoh is always jealous and... And it was, it was the opposite. An interesting and it was take. Heartbreaking. And, and, sure. And, and then the song, the plagues. Like that's my favorite song of the Love whole thing. It. Is the plagues and just yeah. at the at the end, you know, you who I call brother. Oh yeah. And I just that so one. Cool. I get the goosebumps every time that one finishes. Oh, it's to this day. You know, it's been twenty five years since that movie came out, 
And I still get chills hearing that opening trumpet at the beginning yes. of the movie. That's my other favorite song is the, oh, the whole song. prologue. So that prologue <laughs> was that whole prologue, uh, the deliver us song yes. at the beginning that was finished long before the rest of the movie. And they were using that as this kind of sizzle reel whenever guests would come in. Um, and uh, f- I remember for a little while at DreamWorks, my little cubicle was right outside the door of that screening room. And I remember just hearing that prologue and that deliver a song blaring out of there all day long. They would play it for the different people that would come in. I never got tired of it. Like hearing that opening trumpet was just always like, Oh, that's so cool. It's going again. You know, and talk about the music and the lasting legacy of the film. It's now a musical. Like it premiered in, um, in uh, in the West End in, in England kind of during the pandemic time and now it's yeah it's a musical now oh, although I'm a little cool. disappointed I was so excited and I went to go listen to like the original cast and stuff and it doesn't have as much of the music and it mm. kind of takes a little bit more liberties where with this show like this like, I kind of wanted more of of I wanted Prince of Egypt the film. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah yeah no that makes sense So as you work on it, what is, first of all, how soon before it premieres? It premiered in 98. How soon were you working on this? A year, two years before? A year. I got hired in 97. So I think I worked on it for close to a year. And who did the actual design of Moses? Was that done by a specific artist or was that done by committee? And then you just, because you were doing the the in-between shots. Yeah. So So you had to adopt the style that they'd created. Right. And I, I've seen artists where they have, what, what are they called, the style guides, where it's got like a front, a back, and a side view mm-hmm. of the character so that you know when you're animating what the side of their clothing is supposed to look like, Lots what of, their profile yeah. is supposed to look like. Because that's the kind of stuff I think as a fan you don't think about. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like... nuts and bolts that oh. you just... Oh, well, you just draw the thing, right? You just draw the thing? Right. There's a whole process. I mean, it's literally like an assembly line of very specific disciplines that are working together. So you have character designers, a whole staff of them that are just coming up with the designs of the character, the look of the character. And then you have storyboard artists that are drawing the panels of the film to move the story along. And then that's when a lot of the, the dialogue, the voice recording is done during the story. They're looking at storyboards. And then you have background artists. You have a, a, a character animators like what I did. So this is the reason why the credits, I mean, somewhat joking, this is the reason why the credits are so long at oh, the yeah. end of a movie because so many people, and this isn't just like the fourth person who brought in the crepes on the one morning right. that by <laughs> labor contract says they have to get a credit in the movie. This is like... Oh, that, I think there was uh, 500 people, I think, they, they estimated to work on on this film. Oh, wow. So you have all these different departments, you know, layout artists and background artists. Even within animation, you have character animation, like what I do, moving the, the people around and doing the, the dialogue, you know, the lip sync. But then there's also effects animators that just mm-hmm. are drawing fire and smoke and water, those types of things. And you have, you know, lighters and there's color department especially in the 2d you know all of our drawings would go to a color department where they would do all the colors and so it's all broken down that way and then even within character animation you have the the rough animation and and then they have the assistance and then there's cleanup animation where we're 
taking those rough drawings and redrawing them with a nice, clean, final line that you actually Basically see. Basically the inking. Uh, it's even before that. You know, oh, We're really? drawing a graphite clean line okay. that will then be inked. Later, it was scanned and digitized mm-hmm. and then colored that way. And so there's all these different departments. And, and so I worked on one very specific, not only character, but even a specific um, department within that character doing those in-betweens. There was mm-hmm. people drawing drawings above me, you know, as an in-betweener, I wasn't even drawing, you know, number five. Like if you got number one and number 10, there was another assistant that did number five. Then it would get handed down to me to do the ones in between those. Between one and five. Yes. And so there was a lot of that type of thing. And then. Well, a lot of big people start as in-betweeners. That's what Raleigh Crump started as. And he was one of my favorite Disney animators of all time. Yeah. And then you well, slowly. I assume you don't start mm-hmm. out as the lead animator <laughs> no. on major motion picture. That and was even, my way of wait, being like, have you met Raleigh Crump? <laughs> pest control. Let's make him the lead animator. Oh, yeah. Even the Not scenes. Not quite that big of a jump. I you know, as, a, as, as an in-betweener with no experience, even the scenes I worked on, my first drawings of Moses, there's a a montage when he leaves Egypt and he's going through the desert and you keep seeing him getting smaller and smaller as this desert gets more vast and it's kind of dissolves into a smaller Moses and a smaller, pretty soon you can hardly see him. He's a little speck going across the desert. That was the first scene I worked on. Moses was literally about a quarter inch high. How much detail did you have to put into that or did you just have to do the outline? It, it definitely had a lot less detail. You didn't see all the facial features. And, and the, but they even had that broken down. They had guys. They came up with their microscope or their uh, <laughs> magnifying glass. Okay. Yes. You know what? I feel like we need one more fold in the robe here. Well, they had. So you, you mentioned about um, the, the orthoscopic views, like the front, the side, and the back. They had all of those on what's called model sheets. They're reference That's what sheets. They're called, the reference model sheets. Yeah, yes. the model sheets. And so they would hand out all the model sheets to everybody. And I had them plastered all over my walls. But even in the model sheets, they were some that had level of detail, they called it, of model sheets. So depending on where he was in the scene, this is, you know, the quarter inch high Moses. This is how much reference he needs to be on it with based on this reference model sheet. And that's that's something that's still used today in video games is level of detail. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, as things get farther away, you don't need to put all that stuff on there, Um, you know, and, and. depending what you're doing with it. I, I remember, you know, when I, when I later went to work at Disney, I didn't work on it myself, but I remember my office mate got assigned to work on some Beauty and the Beast stuff. And we're like, why are you doing Beauty and the Beast? That movie came out years ago. <laughs> it's, it's been out. <laughs> well, they were re-releasing it onto IMAX and they found there were scenes that needed more level of detail because it was because on a much bigger screen. Was gonna be, you know, that's what I was going to say when, they were asking you to add level of detail. I said, it's almost like they're foreshadowing the digital age when they're going to be able to blow things up yeah. and they can't redo it. Better to put the detail in and shrink it down than have to try to fill it in. They had to add it later, we at least on the Prince of Egypt. was back then, yeah. but we do now. On the Beauty and the Beast uh, for IMAX, they had to bring back old scenes well, plus, and have I them draw. they had to fill out the border hard because like, the original print wasn't set for IMAX, so they actually had to add stuff at the top they didn't I wouldn't be surprised before. yeah I know they did a lot of different stuff to it when they when they brought it back so when you're working on, you're talking about how Moses is getting small in the scene what different sizes did you work on like yeah we need to know which ones were yours when we're watching it. <laughs> sure uh, the different sizes well I mean the paper was always the same it's called 16 field paper um, I think it was I forgot the actual dimensions of the but it was a large sheet 
And then you were just Moses was just really tiny right in the center of that paper. So you were shoot you your paper was the dimensions of what the uh, film frame was going to be. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and um, so that's yours was going to be whatever relation it was to the actual sixteen by nine print, right? So you can't and, have too much caffeine that morning. No, <laughs> I I learned very quickly to stop with the caffeine in the morning because if your hand was jittering, you forget about it. And then so the kind of the way it works is, um, you know, feature film at that time was twenty four frames per second. Yes, and each of those frames was represented by a separate drawing. So one drawing was on a frame. Sometimes. More commonly, they would use a drawing for two film, two two frames, which they called that animating on twos, which means the drawing would be used for two frames. But very often they would animate on ones, which was a single drawing for every frame. So 24 frames per second. At that time, I remember my quota for drawings a week was about 35 drawings per week, oh, wow. which was difficult to do. And then when so you start you to realize- you were able to create one and a half seconds of film. Every week. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Gee, I wonder why they needed 500 animators. Right. I wonder, wonder why they're leaning so heavy into computer now. And that's per character. So if you have another character on the screen, that's a whole other team drawing just that character. Because they can't do that at the same time. No, they don't do it at the same time. They 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 plan it out in the rough animation at the same time. But then when it goes to cleanup and in betweeners, they get separated out onto separate paper. It's interesting, finding out things like this to me, well, first of all, that's how my brain works. I really like to know how things are done, even if I can look at something and say, look, there's no way I could do that myself, but I can sure appreciate the effort and and skill that went into that. But finding out things like this makes you appreciate other works. As you've been describing this, I was thinking, uh, we've kind of been spoiled with some amazing animation and the ability to, uh, you know, generate it via computer, Looking 3D rendering, that's something that you know from video games, and that's the ability to move a camera around a character Mm -hmm. and have the computer be able to show it. All different angles. Because it's basically redrawing it super, super fast as you're doing it. Um, Or it's loaded into the RAM in the full, but it had to be animated all the way around. But once those are done, the computer can move the camera in ways that on animation, you had to draw all of that. You had to change the back. That's a reason that... 2D animation was flat, and you you can watch a lot of cartoons. Old cartoons are great examples of this. They just the difference between the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, <laughs> yes, and you know some of Max Fleischer's cartoons that were for you know Paramount Studios and stuff, where you could tell the budget was higher for Superman, and you see the different movements that Superman does, right. and the way the camera follows Superman. Whereas on a flat surface, you'll see the same background, like scrolling through, like oh yeah, like you're turning a crank. You look at the old Hanna Barbera, yes, know, and they were designed that way on purpose, and it, it it didn't bother you, but to find out those things, and so then when you learn that, and you watch a movie like, for example, The Boy and the Heron, I just watched that this last month, where this has gone back to a lot more traditional animation, and then you see these sweeping shots where the camera tracks a moving, uh, like bird, yeah. And so the the scenery below is changing, the colors changing, the lights changing, and I think, you know, having a computer do that is pretty cool. But knowing to draw how that. much they had to draw that, and and you realize how much animation, how much work went into that. There's not the the frame skip; it doesn't feel like a frame skip. Right. It just makes you appreciate even more what what effort goes into it. Oh, it was an, uh, incredible, you know, to to 
get into that and start doing that myself. Uh, like you said, I, I never appreciated that before you watch a, you know, a cartoon you're like, all right, there's a cool animated film. And, but yeah. to actually be sitting there drawing it now is like, oh my goodness, I just worked <laughs> on this thing for a month and it's several seconds on the screen. It's like, oh, there it went. That was my whole month's <laughs> worth like of work. Your family. There it is. There it is. Oh, I would do that all the time because you, uh, my shots were so spread out in the film and each of them were just seconds long. And so it was a lot of that. Okay, hold on, standby. Here comes my scene, and there it goes. That was it. Don't blink. <laughs> yes, that was a month worth of work right there. When you watch animated movies now, what are some of the things that go through your mind that wouldn't go through average Joes like us mind? I'm watching. Everything is on edits. I watch from one scene to the next. It's hard for me to watch the movie as a whole. I'm watching in between camera cuts <laughs> because I realize that's somebody's scene right there from that cut to that cut. And that's all I'm really looking at is a, a bunch of little sequences of cut scenes because I'm like, oh, that was a really good one. That little motion they did right there for just those few seconds. Um, things like that. I, I look at things that that we did as animators um, that, you know, animation is the illusion of life, they call it. So I'm always looking at the illusion that we've created that or that the animator is creating to fool the audience so that they don't even notice it. You know, one of those things is like to, to make a character feel alive on the screen, whether it's on paper or on the computer, all of those things are weightless. There is no weight on the computer and paper. And so for an animator to be able to create the illusion of weight, like a big character like Sully and Monsters, uh, Inc. Yeah. to be, you know, plodding around, there's a lot of tricks the animator's doing, slowing down the motion when he fit, picks his foot up and then speeding up the animation to plop it down. it down because it takes more energy to lift than to and then pow yeah. and you're creating these illusions of Ooh, physics and weight and balance and so but when it's done really well nobody notices it because it just looks so natural <laughs> And so that's the irony. I don't want that's you to the notice. irony. That's, I did my job right. No one will know I did exactly. my job. If you don't do it right, everybody will know. Everyone <laughs> sees it. And and that's the that's the thing that I'm looking at a lot is watching those animation principles and how well it's done. You know, when you see it done really well, it's like, wow, that was really cool. You know. What is a scene from a animated movie that you outside of your own work? What's a scene from an animated movie when you watch it you're like I just love that. And I'm not sure anybody appreciates There's, the way um, I would. Yeah. the um, What comes to mind? That Spider-Verse uh There's movie? Into and Across. The first or yeah. the second? The first one. Oh, okay. I love the first one. The, I, I was convinced when I first watched it that it had to be either um, uh, like rotoscoped, which they're mm -hmm. like tracing mm -hmm. the motion mm -hmm. of an actor, or that it was, um, what's the other one? The motion capture. Motion capture. Because it was animated so well, the movements were so amazing. I'm like, there's no way that this wasn't motion capture because it just looks so nice. There's a scene when uh, the the main character, Miles. I'm so out of animation right. now. Miles. Miles, yeah. When he's visiting his uncle and he just jumps on the couch mm, and they're yeah. talking. When he comes and jumps on that couch, just that one little scene is just so beautiful, the motion that he's doing, which is just so natural. I don't think anybody really sees it. 
when I'm watching that, you like, it. oh, there's well, no, that's what I'm saying is now I'm going to start. You got me. I got to see that scene again. I got to see what made you see that. And now I'll start to hopefully yeah. see those things. The mechanics of just how he climbed onto the couch and sat down was just like, wow, that was cool. Because then I, I think I, there was, there was even animators were showing their work and how they planned those things out. You know, a lot of animators will film themselves for reference and right. they were showing how they filmed that for reference and then how they blocked it out. And it wasn't rotoscoped or, or uh, anything. It was all keyframe. Like they did that by hand, frame by frame. And it was like, that's really cool. So, yeah, that stuff stands out to me. Would you say you're a better f- cartoon artist or realistic artist? Or which, which would you say you're stronger at? How about that? Stronger, definitely cartooning. Okay. Um, you know, I spent so many years doing animation, and I like to dabble in fine art, and, and I hope to get better at it. Um, but, you know, definitely my strength is in cartooning. That's where I make more money, and that's where I stay busier at is doing that kind of thing. That's probably what gets requested of me the most. If you were to create your own comic book, I don't know if you're a comic book fan or not, I mean, you've seen Spider-Verse, so that's a point in your favor. I yeah. like that. What would your comic book look like, or what would it be about? Have you ever thought about this? Well, you know, I've, I've actually done— Or how about a cartoon? Maybe cartoon. Cartoon. If you were to invent your own cartoon, oh, what would boy. it look like? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, like, the old-school Mad Magazine, like Mort Drucker and that oh, kind of okay. thing. Like, I love the caricature stuff. So, and then, you know, I, so I, I kind of like that style. You know, a lot of strong caricature— um, a lot of pen and ink kind so of thing. a little bit of reality, but a lot of exaggeration. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I really like that. And that's a lot of what I do now. Interesting. Well, you do the, what is it called? The Rat motorcycle. Fink? Rat Fink. Rat yeah. Fink. Yeah. You, yeah. Rat Fink has got a lot of that in it. And that, I've been that able motion, to. That motion, that exaggeration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the mm-hmm. uh, Mort Drucker, a lot of um, George Trousley, like that kind of thing. Um you know, and, and I love the hot rod stuff, you know, just growing up in Southern California in the, you know, in the seventies and early eighties, that was, you know, everybody drew those things, the hot rod stuff. And, and that was something I was drawn to. You and um, George Lucas both. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just the whole car culture thing of that. And so it's, it's become, you know, something I've been able to incorporate into my work, you know. And can I just say like art specifically, like you may notice over the episode here that there's been a lot of names thrown out. So mm-hmm. art, a lot of times artists will be like, oh, I love this person's work. I love this person's something. That's something you don't necessarily see unless I'm doing it wrong in like the business world of like, I love the way that this person did Excel Row 35. Like, <laughs> you know, that's a good point. You know, when I, I later. That equation that they had that carried it to the pie chart. Never been amazing. done before. <laughs> it's funny, you know, you mentioned that because I, I never thought about that either until years later when I started working in video games. We have the way that works is you have almost half of the staff is artists mm-hmm. creating the content, the assets. And then the other half of the staff is programmers, computer guys that were writing the code to, taking, make move. to make it move, to make it work in the game is a lot of coding mm-hmm. that goes on. And I remember as I got into that, um, you know, talking to some of the programmers, they would come in and sit in our meetings sometimes where the artists were and we're sharing ideas and collaborating. We're filming each other running down the hallway and. And we're just swapping ideas of animation principles and how to make this look better and all this stuff, which was to me, that's something we always did. That's what you do as an animator. You show it to other animators. You want your work to be as good as it can be. And I remember one of the programmers commenting, like, I'm really amazed. Like, you guys actually share your work with each other? <laughs> like, well, 
yeah, don't you? And he's like, no, programmers never share anything with, yeah, they're guarding their code. The code. Yeah. <laughs> We're guarding it and we have our own way of doing it. And it's like, really? And they were like, yeah, that's amazing that you guys are just so open with all of your technique and your, like, yeah, that's kind of what we do. Well, the good the one difference is code is specifically able to be copied, whereas I like that line. I'm going to try to maybe curve that portion of their arm a little bit more mm-hmm. next time I draw it. But I mean, who could say where you got that from? Right. But so that that does make some sense. But that sure. is pretty funny, though, that they're they're just like looking at you like you're an alien. Like, why well, you show your work? Why would you someone? share all of this with the, your other artists? Like, well, why wouldn't we? <laughs> it was just if like, there was a video game or a or a cartoon that you would love to say, oh, I was instrumental. This is just make-believe for fun. Sure. What's one that you'd pick? Like, oh, I wish I could say I had worked on that, or I wish that, would it be Spider-Verse? Oh, one that I didn't work on that I yes, wish I one had. That you didn't, that you just, if you, it was like, if you could wave a magic wand and it would allow you to do the work on sure. something that's already come out, what would it be? I, I mean, as far as like, um, I mean, classic animation, I always go back to Sleeping Beauty. It's just such a oh, beautiful I film. That. I mean, just, it's a moving piece of art and, I mean, that any of those classics, my number two favorite movie, (laughs) Pinocchio, um, but Sleeping Beauty is really special. More current. I love the, yeah, the Spider-Verse is amazing. Um, I love Tangled is just an incredible movie. So does my daughter. (laughs) Because Tangled was coming, you know, we were just coming out of 2D, getting into CG. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of those people like Glenn Keane, who was very instrumental, not only in 2D, but that was, you know, one of his real big ones, you know, going into CG was uh, Tangled. And so him bringing a lot of those principles with him and incorporating them into a CG film uh, was just so well done. Like, I, I still love that movie. Do you think we need both traditional animation and CG still? Or do we need one more than the other? Or do we need them both? I would love to see it come back, you know, 2D animation. It's, it's, there's something about it that, um, you know, that, that is lacking in CG. Just that there's little idiosyncrasies and just fun little things that, that you get, you know, when you're drawing it on paper that, that you don't see. Um, I understand the reason why it's not around. It's very costly it, the staff is almost doubled you and know the production time, time yeah. is about doubled if not more and so I, I understand the business reason for it um, and so but you still see some of it coming out still in, in Europe there's different studios that are that are doing Ghibli and mm-hmm. you know they're doing hand-drawn stuff yeah. um, but you know I, I miss it I, I don't miss you know what it did to my hand drawing that many hours <laughs> for that many years uh, I'm fortunate where I draw left-handed, but I use my mouse with my right hand. Uh, so when I switch to CG, it can be a whole new lease on life, yeah. you know, with my other hand. Wow. Don't have to use the claw. Like yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, drawing for so many years, I mean, that just really does a, a, a thing to your hand. Your uh, wrists. Your mm-hmm. wrists mm-hmm. and your fingers start to curl up, you know, holding the pencil for so long. I had a supervisor that literally slept with a brace holding her fingers over open because otherwise she would wake up and it would just be curled uh, up her hand. And so, yeah, there, there is a toll that's done with uh, holding a pencil like that. So when they say it's a labor of love, it's labor. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I and mean, you better love it because it is labor, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as the future for hand-drawn animation? Whether it's like, is it going to go like cursive where just people stop doing it because they're drawing everything on the computer? Or, I mean, I know my daughter, um, She's she loves doing like and maybe this is what the future is is the anime because um, that's still more popular in the, in the hand drawn right. animation uh, but she does 
She only uses paper when she's at church and can't use the tablet. Right. She loves doing it on a tablet, and my cousin gave her one of those things that looks like a laptop bottom, but it's just for the... Like oh, yeah. For the, yeah. I don't yeah. know what it's called, Like a honestly. Wacom tablet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just on that all the time. Yeah. I think and, there'll always be a place for it. just be sketching. Right. That's the question. Is there a future for it? If somebody wanted to be you in 2027... Is there a path for them or do they have to learn CD? It depends what you're doing. You know, there there are still, um, you know, departments, as I mentioned, like that assembly line. There are still disciplines where they draw, you know, things like character design, um, storyboarding. Although a lot of them are drawn on tablets, but you're still holding a, you know, yes, a pencil stylus, yeah. tool yeah, stylus. stylus yeah. And so you're still drawing that. Whereas like computer, like character animation, like what I did is no longer done with a stylus. It's done with a mouse. Mm-hmm. You're moving around a virtual puppet, a statue on the computer screen. I'm not drawing that character at all anymore. Mm-hmm. It's built by a modeler. It's got textures by somebody else. And that's and like then, the Disney Infinity Games and, and yes. things like that more the computer. Mm-hmm. So you have people building that character and then when it gets to character animation i'm just simply moving around this statue but the character design was still drawn with the stylus on a tablet and where they're drawing more uh same with storyboarding and so a lot of those those are probably the two bigger departments if you really want to draw uh you're going to be there but even within character animation even though i'm not drawing that character Figure drawing and life drawing is still vital because you learn so much from that that applies to character animation. Things like weight and composition and perspective, mm-hmm. um, all of those things you learn from drawing and then you apply those to your character animation, uh, staging, you know, appeal. Uh, there's a lot of things like uh, mood and attitude that come from drawing that you apply to that character that you're, you're posing on the computer. You know, if you have a character that looks very proud or, you know, he's going to have the chest out and the shoulders back and that kind of thing. Those are all things you're going to learn from figure drawing and life drawing, you know, that you can apply to that, even though you're not technically drawing that on the screen any longer. All right, so last question about the What is your favorite copyright violation? <laughs> Trademark <laughs> violation. What's your favorite thing to draw? That Whether you can't you've done it to people, or... you can't sell to people, but you, 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 you know, Spider-Man. I've been or you, fortunate it, to have some character to that draw became that one. Um, well, I mean, there, there are a lot that I do that just aren't enforced, and so they're not really – I'm too it's small. You don't have to say them out loud by. if you don't want to have I'm too small idea. on their radar for them to notice that I'm doing it. There are some that I've been fortunate that I was doing it that became legitimate later on because I either met the, the people that do it legitimately or I've presented it to them and it, and it turned out well. You know, I, I was drawing um, – what was I drawing a while ago? Oh, the I got really into with the hot rod stuff. I do a lot of caricatures, and I was drawing Evil Knievel, which I'm a huge fan. You know who wasn't a fan of Evil Knievel growing up back in the day, and I was drawing that just a caricature of him. But I was also putting like the name, which is that's the big that's, yeah. is when you start putting the titles and the name, and um, and I was warned by somebody that you know they kind of frown on that kind of thing, and so what I did 
rather than posting it and selling it, I actually came, I went to the actual people, their official like Instagram page. In your pest control van. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, again. No, I posted it just to them, like a private message. And I just said, hey, I'm a big fan. I love Evil Knievel. I did this drawing. So you send him fan art. I sent them fan art. And they said, oh, uh, they actually replied and they said, you know, thank you for not just bootlegging this from us. This is actually pretty cool. Would you want to, we've been looking at doing some new merch. Oh, cool. Uh, would you want to be interested in talking about doing something? And we've had this relationship ever since for the last several years where I've done stuff for them and we still work together. And, and so it's, it's sometimes it's taking those chances again. I love that you, you were honest in your stuff. Yeah. You, you told the truth on your resume and it opened and it ended up opening the door for you in a way that you couldn't have imagined. Never could you have imagined. You sent the thing to even like, Hey, I, I made this. You knew that you could probably get somebody to buy it. Probably. Even. Yeah. And you sent it to them and said, Hey, you guys like, I, I made this and I, I was inspired by you. You ought to be at least a chance to see it. And yeah. they said, Hey, wow, this looks good. Maybe we've got something for you. Like being honest. It doesn't definitely, yeah, it pays off. I mean, it, it opened that door and, and I've gotten so many, I've gotten quite a few doing that very thing. You know, I've, I've since worked with, uh, uh, Alice Cooper, um, I've done stuff with, with Van Halen, Michael Anthony with Van Halen. And a lot of them were that kind of same thing. Like, I'm just a big fan. I did this drawing. I'd love to just show it to you and see what you think. And, and you never know where it, sometimes it goes nowhere. I've had places, uh, that told me to knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, I was gonna say you've worked for some zealous copyright enforcers and trademark. Yes. And then, but other ones will be like, Hey, this is kind of cool. Like, uh, why don't we talk about doing something with this? That's wow. so cool. And I, I love that you, you never were ashamed of like your own style and everything. I think for me, I didn't draw for years and years and years cause I wasn't as good as someone else, or I couldn't match the Disney style or this, that. So for a big chunk of my life, I have, I stopped drawing. Oh yeah. And now it's like, no, I'm going to embrace what it is. And I'm going to put my own stuff out there and be fun. And I'm sitting there's time I'm supposed to be taking notes. And what have I done? Draw. Draw. She's I'm just sitting here drawing. It's, it's, but that's, uh, it's inspiring. I mean, this is kind yeah. of Ryan. This is what you're hoping to have. That's what we want to do is inspire That's what others. we'll have there. And, and, you know, you talk about that. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. You know, um, I've been doing this for, you know, most of my life now. Mm-hmm. And I'm still very insecure with my art. I'm still not sure. I have huge, like, uh, I forgot what they call it, imposter syndrome. Imposter, yes, it's the same. And it's very common within artists or anybody that's creative that's doing something. And I found what happens is you take that self-criticism and that self-loathing about your work and I found that people go either one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Some people get they so agree with you. That is terrible. <laughs> well, what people, what artists end up doing is you either get so um, debilitated by that that you just give up. You stop doing it because it's like I'm no good. I don't think my work's. No one's gonna like it, mm-hmm. and you stop doing it. Or you can go the other path, which is what I do: is I draw something, I love it for about ten minutes, and then I hate it. It's the worst thing I've 100%. ever seen. Mm-hmm. But then I say, but this next one is going to be really good. And I can't wait to start this one because I'm going to take all the stuff that I hate about this one and make the next one even better. And I want to keep improving. I want to keep getting better. And then I do the next one. And it's like, okay, I got it. This one's really cool. Ten minutes later, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. How could I but think this that looks next like a one, hand? Yeah, but this next one, I'm going to really nail this. And, 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 and so with that, I, I take that negative what would be a negative thing and just like 
I want to get better. I want to keep I improving. Keep and now, have you going. run into people that you're like, I don't, I don't want you to see this. I'm not proud of it. And they're like, I love it. Oh, yeah. And I don't understand that because I show I'm like, this is the worst. I, I don't. So the good news is, is to get a deal from you. I can look at this and say, you know, this is pretty terrible, but I'll take it off your hands for like, uh, I don't know, a dollar. Yes. Right. And then go and be like, oh my God, I, I have original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so it's no, a lot of that. Because it is, it's a little bit of you each time. Oh you're yeah. Putting out. It's not just, you know, it's like I drew that. It's, this is yeah, I yeah. created. Learning to let those things go. You know, if it's a commission, somebody's is bought, you know, commissioned you to do this and I really love it. And all right, there you go. That's yours now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the same time, it's sometimes I've had people repost stuff online. I remember meeting you at this Comic-Con in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. six years ago and you did this sketch for me and they posted, I'm like, oh my God, why are you, <laughs> can you please take that down? <laughs> This is the worst thing I've ever seen. It's horrible because I'm going, you know, six years back and... <laughs> No, but you see the progress too. Like, and sometimes I look and I, back at I things. I try to appreciate that. Sometimes I look like a podcast or written things or things I'm drawn, and I'm and I'm like, you know, what? I hated it at the time, and I was so nervous about it. And now I look back and see what I've learned from it, yes. see what's come from it, and you kind of appreciate it more. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I try to do that as much mm-hmm. as I can. And you know, people put it in the in the perspective for me. You know, somebody <laughs> posted some stuff that I did for the yearbook when I was a senior yes. in high school. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so embarrassing, so cringy. And they're like, you know what? That was perfect for the time. It yep. was the late 80s, and that's what that's the way people dress. I'm like, all right, well, I'll it sounds take like that. That's what you're trying to do, Ryan, with this whole genuine arty mm-hmm. is, is get out there and make something. You know, all these different types of arts that you're going to be on display here is, mm-hmm. isn't just these creative ideas, but you're going to make something. You said you have 3D printers, you have panelists, mm-hmm. you have cosplayers, mm-hmm. you have artists that have written and drawn and done all sorts of different things. It's getting out there, even in, in the dull drums of January right. and, and doing something creative. Well, and the whole thing, too, is, is like, if you let that insecurity or you're like, oh, I don't know if this will be good or I don't like it, you're not going to get anywhere. So right. I, I, have you seen the meme where like you can't be good at something until you've been bad at it? Mm-hmm. Right. Like you got to start and get somewhere. So that's one of the hopes, too, is that if you're an aspiring artist, you can meet some of these people that they've had success with it and you can learn and, mm-hmm. and talk to them and be inspired and be like, hey, maybe I can do this. And Show up in your pest control van. <laughs> well, you'll find that a lot, you know, with artists like myself in particular, you know, when I met Cousin Larry, that was just such a gem. That was such like to meet somebody that did this professionally, but then that would take the time and tell me yeah, what to do say, and how to do that. He could have tried to hoard the idea for himself. And Absolutely. Like, You're a threat. And so I've always kept that through the years when I meet an aspiring artist and they're excited to talk to me because I worked on Emperor's New Groove. And it's like, yeah, I remember that feeling of meeting somebody and like, just, can you just tell me what to do and how to do it and Mm -hmm. give me some pointers? And, and so I love doing that. And so January is a great opportunity for that, for myself and other artists to just share some of our experiences and take a look and take some time to talk to some of these aspiring artists. And so it's a great thing for that. So Prince of Egypt, it'll be playing at January. To do that, you're going to make a donation to Primary Children's Hospital, which I think is an amazing thing, Ryan. That's a great idea of how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then you get to a chance to watch the movie with one of the people who can stand up and be like, that's my scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've we've been really fortunate to to get this. You know, it's it costs a lot of money I was to say. to mm-hmm. for the you know you have to pay DreamWorks the licensing mm-hmm. and the theater and mm-hmm. and so we've had uh, some great sponsors. Uh, Brandon Fugel, a friend of mine, and he's uh, he's stepped in and, and really helped us a lot with uh, getting these the screenings that we have in in the big theater that we have yeah, as well. It's because of him because originally this was just going to be a small theater, but because of him, we got it on the second largest screen they have there. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a big deal because Brandon Fugel's a huge Prince of Egypt probably fan. Bigger than Yay. you saw a bigger screen than you saw mm-hmm. it on probably when it was in theaters the first time. Yeah, I'm so and excited. now we're going to get to see the detail on that Moses that's fading. Like, up he's going to be a half inch instead of quarter inch. Oh, oh my gosh, we're going to see all the details. <laughs> that's right. We just made time. <laughs> I'll make sure to put again. links to all that in our show notes today and on our social and way. So just well, watch our, our Facebook. Kellyanne, I don't know if this was your suggestion or if this is part of January. Even if you can't go to the event. Mm-hmm. I liked your suggestion. It's the doldrum. You can be a part of January even if you can't go to January. Yes. And I do love that. something creative. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I am I've, I've, I don't remember if I said this before the broad, before we started recording or if it was during, but I'm much more of an appreciator than a creator usually because for my own self, it's wanting it to like I have the half that you have where you're like, right. but <laughs> I struggle with the, like, I don't want to start it if I know it's not going to turn out the way I want. Like, I I struggle with the being bad first mm-hmm. so that I can get good at it. Now, I've right. fought my way through on some things, but there are other things. I used to love doing art. That was one of my favorite things. I discovered it on accident in junior high. I didn't know high. that. Yeah, I used to. And I, you know, even when I was like 19, I, when I was on a serving a mission, I would have, when I had free time, sometimes I would draw. Not oh, yeah. very well, of course. I prefer more realistic. I like to try to recreate what I see. Sure. I struggle with the cartoony type stuff, but you know, my brain's very linear. So doing the grid over the picture and then using a bigger oh, yeah. grid with the same thing to make the picture larger. That's when I was like, I can do this. Oh yeah. Like, that was kind of fun. And then there was one where we had to take a look at a picture in a magazine and we had to recreate it with colored paper. We had to cut it out. We had oh, to wow. figure out how to, to size it up and make a poster of it. Yeah. And so those were the kinds of things that I, I really enjoyed the artistic part of it. I just, ah, you ever tried to squeeze something out of a tube when it doesn't want to come out? That's what it feels like inside my head. It's the same with me to this day. It's still the same thing. I have every drawing that I start, I have this vision in my head of what it's going to look like. And I could see it. It's like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And I start drawing or painting. And very often, either I can't convey what I'm thinking mm-hmm. or it just takes a whole different direction. That's like, the writing a lot of time for me. Like, oh, I thought this was going to be the message and mm-hmm. it's going over here. And I think that's just the creative process, you know, with whatever it is you're doing, whether you're writing or all of those things is is just trying to get that that picture out, you know, that's in your brain. So when it's gray outside, just create your own light and sunshine and make something. Yeah. Whether it's writing, whether it's art, arting. Yeah. I love Art-ing. that. Whether it's arting or writing, you know, whether it's cooking. Let's get arting in I mean, January. I'm going to remember right. that. Cooking is huge. I, I, I'm obsessed right now with the dioramas. I build little miniature sets and I can't stop with those. And I, I, I love going to Hobby Lobby and finding these little things and I'm building stuff in my office and, and it's total nonsense. I don't do anything with it except we have shelves, you know, uh, display at our, mm-hmm. at our, my home of little sets that I'm building with trees and little things. And 
There's all those creative things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do it anyway. Absolutely. It's not for a reason. Just it doesn't. Do it. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. But it's just something creative to do. Well, Thomas Estrada, professional artist, who's one of the featured guests at January, and Ryan Sagers, the founder and event manager. Recap real quick. January 20th, mm-hmm. 11 to 7. Yep. Valley Fair Mall. Mm-hmm. Movies. You To go to the movie, you do need to have a ticket, correct? Right. Okay. Donation. Yep. But, it, but it, the donation, you get the ticket through a donation to Primary Children's Hospital. And then all kinds of stuff to do. But you don't have to buy anything to come to January. Nope. It's just, it's free admission. Mm-hmm. So come enjoy, have a chance to chat and talk with some artists. Well, this sounds really, this sounds like a really good idea. And I hope it becomes a regular thing, especially since this... Be the first. Maybe you can say you were there first. It's like me at Salt Lake Comic Con slash Fenix. <laughs> so if you want to become a regular thing, one good thing you can do is show up. Even That's if you don't spend point. money, just come, look at the art, tell the artists that you love them. Tell and them. I got to ask, is Valeity Studios the local, are they going to be there? Do you know? They are there. Because that's one of my best friends growing up. He was that's one. Salt Lake Comics, right? Yeah. Salt, Salt Lake Salt yeah, he's been on Stranger. Yeah. And yes. That, Very Chris cool. Hoffman, I don't know if you know him yep. personally, but yeah, we grew up best friends. And so. Oh, nice. Wow. Um, yeah, he, I was hoping they'd be there because you get to see some really fantastic local artists and mm-hmm. them being included. So. Oh, yeah. Adrian Ropp is a fantastic artist. Yeah. I mean, he mm-hmm. does stuff with uh, Archie Comics and just, uh, yeah. He did a lot of the, the Bluth, right? Or Bloom? What is it? Don Bluth? Don, Don Bluth, was Studios. that right? Uh, no, uh, oh, okay. I forgot the name of the that. studio, but we, uh, we worked together on Infinity at Disney for, for <gasps> okay. many years. Okay. He's a terrific storyboard artist and... Um, he does a lot of really cool concept art. I love giving his prints as gifts because it's something that I might not have room for. Like, you know, I myself, I'd rather buy a shirt so I can display it than put it on my wall because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of wall space. But I love, I, th- I see his stuff and I'm like, hey, this is perfect for so-and-so. He's fantastic. See, you know, I have a whole, I have binders and I collect five by sevens from artists. Cause mm-hmm. that was like, that's my limitation for budget. So yeah. like five by seven on my coffee table, all sorts of arts, all signed. I ask him about it. And his prices are great too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's literally the guy that I credit for me ultimately resigning from my job and going (laughs) full-time freelance. Not because of your working relationship with him. No, 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 no. He, because he was doing comic cons Mm -hmm. uh, and I went just to go help him. I sat in on a panel with him for infinity and that literally got me going as like, my God, you can do this. And I started drawing after many years of oh, just doing computer it. animation. And I eventually started booking so many Comic-Cons and traveling around. I quit my job. Yes. And, and I always tell him that, like, dude, you sent me on this whole different course of my career. Well, he's also part of the inspiration for this because last year he wanted to do a charity screening for a friend of his that needed surgery and couldn't raise the money. So that didn't quite go through. And so I talk to him. I'm like, Hey, I've got this opportunity coming up. Would you mind if I kind of throw this in? He's like, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I love so this. I he's, love this. He's Adrian Rops. Uh, amazing. Well guys, I appreciate you taking some time today to tell us about this. This has been fascinating both to learn about January and just some of the ins and outs of animation. I hope you've had fun. That's kind of why oh, we do. It's been a blast. Uh, love asking weird questions that come up to me like sure. as we're talking about something and, uh, and you guys, very, very enjoyable and, and best of luck. And I, ho- I hope I can go to January. Yeah. <laughs> if, if not, you can Kelly art on your own. Just yeah. drag no, the kids. And I get, I'll have to do some of my art on my own. And then if I do, I have to post it. I will make then... you. <gasps> oh, and I'd love know. to come back. I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface on video games. And oh, that's true. Rat Fink and all my stuff. I did stuff with Foo Fighters. And uh, there's we'll, a whole. We'll, we'll figure that out. Just yes. Re- we'll you definitely. got my text number now. <laughs> well, guys, appreciate it. And best of luck to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fan Effect. It's a KSL News Radio podcast. 
Beyond sci-fi, fantasy, gaming, and tech, we're excited to share with you our knowledge and sometimes arguments. We're getting better at not arguing. We're pretty arguing. friendly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about everything pop culture and fandom. We're based in the beautiful Beehive State of Utah, and Fan Effect celebrates our unique fan culture and excited to bring you local guests like Ryan and Thomas that feel the same way. I'm Andy Farnsworth. Kellyanne Halverson, producer, co-host, creative. And we invite you, if you followed a link from social media, we invite you to listen to our other episodes on your favorite platform or at kslnewsradio.com or on the KSL News Radio app. And if you have a fun idea or local fan culture topic you'd like us to explore, message us on our Facebook page or follow us on Instagram. Leave a message there at Fan Effect, E-F-F-E-C-T, Fan Effect Show. Uh, And we hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. Yay.